Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the words of that song we've just sung, especially that last verse. It speaks of this wonderful truth, this great gospel that has been passed down from generations that we have today that will echo on into eternity. Last week we celebrated Easter, that wonderful, central, pivotal event in the history of the world, not just of Christianity, when Jesus died and rose again to change history, to change everything. We thank you that you have given us this wonderful message to proclaim. And all this morning as we take a look at these first two chapters of Acts at the beginning of the church, that you would encourage us, you'd inspire us, that you would urge us on as the church today to continue on that mission. Please help us to concentrate, to hear your word. Please open up our hearts, speak to us. Father, break through the hardness Soften us before you, we pray, for your glory. Amen. If you have been part of Modern Road Church for the last few weeks, months, probably years, then you will know that there's been a lot of things going on. If you haven't and you're visiting today, let me tell you, there's been a lot of things going on in Modern Road Church. I guess two major events or projects in particular You've heard about them already today. One, the launch, the recent launch of Cowley Church Community, also known as CCC. And the other, the Irving Project, this process the church is going through to try and acquire a new building so we can all fit in on a Sunday morning, among other things. Two weeks ago, it was a great pleasure, and we were very pleased to commission CCC. We had them at the front here, if you you remember. We pray for them and we send them off to Cowley, another area of the city, to be witnesses for Christ in that community, for him. After many months of preparation and training, CCC have gone. And so we here this morning remain. And so what about us? What is next for us here at MRC post-CCC? What does God have for us next? The other project is the Irving building. Prayers and raising funds to be able to acquire this building. And it looks as if we may be in the final stages of that to find out whether we will have it or not. But whether we have it or not, I ask the same question, what is next? If the building will be ours, what will we do with it? If it doesn't turn out to come to us, What will we do? What's the mission? What's the task? What's the purpose of the church? Over the next few weeks, and this is going to be divided up between now and the end of May, unfortunately, but in that time, we're going to look at these two first two chapters of the book of Acts, the record of the very beginning of the church, the church that we are a part of today here in Oxford. Some say that if the book of Acts is volume one of church history, then that means that we are in volume two of church history as it continues on forward. And so as we ask the question, what next for us? In these opening chapters of Acts, Jesus' disciples also, in a way, ask the question, what next? And they discover the what next from Jesus. So in one way, we're going to get down to basics 
in these weeks and remind ourselves of that task, of that purpose of the church. The kingdom of Jesus. And so today we are looking at the purpose. What is the purpose of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus? And firstly, the question. We've just celebrated Easter, that time when we remember and celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. As I mentioned in my prayer, this great event in history. Put yourselves in the shoes of those disciples. Can you imagine what it was like to be one of those disciples during that period? The real roller coaster ride that they went through. Jesus being arrested and dying, and then three days later being risen from the dead. Luke, who is the author of Acts, he's reminding Theophilus, the the reader, the recipient, of his former book, the Gospel of Luke. And he says, verse 1, in my former book, I wrote all about Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. Luke's Gospel, one of the records of the life and ministry, the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. We see Jesus demonstrate his power, signs and wonders. He teaches, he does miracles, died, he rose again, and at the end of the gospel, we read him talking to the disciples again about this kingdom of God. And the disciples are now excited, and they are waiting in anticipation of what is going to happen next. And so it's no wonder, really, they ask the question they ask in verse 6. Look at verse 6. They say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, they're asking, is it now that you're going to bring an end to all things? Are you now going to fulfill all the other prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled? Is it now that you're going to set up your earthly kingdom and rule and reign all over the world forever? Why did they ask such a question? Let's read back a little bit from verse 3, and let's remind ourselves of their experience so far. Verse 3. After Jesus, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, when while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I think just in those verses, there are, there, are, there are three things that stand out to me all around this theme of the fulfillment of prophecy that's led these apostles, these disciples, to ask the question. Firstly, they are eyewitnesses to this great historical event, the death and resurrection of Jesus. All that the Old Testament pointed towards has now just happened. Although they that met Jesus and were with him didn't understand why he had to die, now he's risen and now Jesus is teaching. They're beginning to understand. They're beginning to see and put the pieces together. Up until this point, people believed that the Messiah would come and that he would rule and reign. He would defeat Israel's enemies. He would sit on the throne and he would rule. And that's true, that was what the prophecy said, and that's what ultimately will happen. 
But God's people at this point didn't understand that Israel's greatest enemy wasn't the Romans, but it was sin. And sin and death is the greatest enemy of the whole world, of you and me. But yet at the cross, Jesus has conquered sin and conquered death. It is no more. So surely now, because of the resurrection, now is the time for Jesus to rule. That's the first thing. Secondly, I think the disciples are excited because Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. He has spoken about the kingdom of God already. Throughout the Gospels, we can read it. Mark opens his account with those words. The kingdom of God has come. Repent, believe the good news. We can read in Luke and Matthew and others of those parables, parables of the the kingdom of God that is to come. Let's take one example. Matthew tells us about the kingdom being like a mustard seed. Although it's the smallest seed, yet when it grows, it becomes the largest plant in the garden. It becomes like a tree, so the birds can come and perch on its branches. And if you were a Jew listening to a parable like that, pretty sure it would cause your mind to think back into the Old Testament and to a a similar picture of something filling the whole earth. And that's from Daniel. Do you remember Nebuchadnezzar's dream? Daniel chapter 2. He dreams of a, a great statue that represented all the kingdoms of the earth, including Babylon and Rome. And in the dream, a small rock came and hit the foot of the statue and the whole thing was smashed to smithereens, gone like the dust. And from that small, tiny rock, a a huge mountain that filled the whole earth grew. And Daniel interprets that small rock that grew into a mountain as being the kingdom of God. And so while Jesus is speaking about the kingdom of God, is it now that it's going to be fulfilled? Is it now that he's going to rule the whole world? Second. Thirdly, there is this promise of the Holy Spirit. John will baptize with water, but in a few days, you'll be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Like the kingdom of God, Jesus spoke of the coming of of this Holy Spirit before he died. But again, this is a promise that's not just from Jesus, but it's found in the Old Testament. Isaiah says, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Or how about Ezekiel 36? I will pour out my spirit, and you will move to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave to your ancestors. You will be my people, and I will be your God. The promise of the spirit, right before the promise of the land, of the people occupying it and Christ ruling forever. And so is it any wonder that the disciples are asking the question, is it now, is it now that you are going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Well, if you haven't noticed, the church has been in existence for 2,000 years. And so we can be sure that in some way, in some way the answer Jesus give will be no, not exactly. The kingdom of God has come, Jesus said so, it came with him, but it hasn't fully come 
It hasn't completely and finally come. The kingdom is now, but it's not yet as well. If they were expecting the fulfillment of the kingdom in their day, because it had been promised, of course that promise still stands today for us. And so let's ask ourselves the question, do we expect the coming of the Lord Jesus? If they did 2,000 years ago, do we 2,000 years later? Before we think about the answer that Jesus gives, he gives them the mission, let's think about the end goal, the final destination, this return of Christ. Because surely one of the biggest motives, encouragements, helps there is for the church to fulfill the task that God has given day by day is knowing that there is an end. Knowing that there is a great and final and full end. To know where it is that we are going. And so what is our expectation of the coming of Jesus? How does that expectation that he will one day come shape our lives, shape our church and how we do things, how we do ministry? For some the question of the Lord's return is all that they ever seem to think about. They ask the question, is it now, right right now that you're going to come? And they'll play the guessing game, interpreting the times, guessing dates. An extreme example, Harold Camping, you may have heard of him, who died a couple of years ago, was famous for his failed predictions of the return of Christ. In 1992, he predicted the world would end, on September the 6th, 1994. I think that may have been the day I started starting to school. I'm not sure. In 2011, he predicted the world would end in, on the 21st of October. But yet, we are still here today. Now, of course, the Lord Jesus could return any time. He could return today. And as Christians, we should be looking for it. We should be praying for it. I remember one guy saying he would wake up in the morning, look to the sky, and pray that the Lord Jesus would come. But he would end the day giving thanks that he hadn't come because it meant that more people could come to know Jesus. And so Jesus himself says to his disciples, it is not for you to know the times and the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. The end times can distract people from the day-to-day mission of winning people into that kingdom. And so some try to answer the question themselves, while others perhaps may genuinely long for the answer to come. Thinking particularly of those who suffer. I'm not just thinking of those who have suffered in other countries, but Christians maybe today, maybe here in this church. For those of us who life is just hard, Evangelism is difficult and often fruitless, or minimal at least. Persecution may be in our faces. And so we ask the question, is it now or can it be now that the kingdom fully comes? Maybe you suffer a bit of that yourselves. Life is difficult. You feel that tug of of being in the world, but not of the world. A bit downcast because... Your friends and your family haven't turned to Christ. 
maybe you're a bit older and you see the change in our nation. You see perhaps there's a, a tide of persecution coming to the Western church. I felt a little bit like this just before Easter. I was preparing for an evening service. We, one of our equip meetings, we were looking at the question, can we believe in the resurrection? So I'm apologetic to that question. And as I was studying and reminding myself of all those great and wonderful truths and evidences that there are for the resurrection, for the empty tomb, I found myself getting frustrated and getting annoyed, asking the question, why don't people believe in this? And then slowly starting to doubt that will they ever believe in it? And praying, Lord, just come back now because people have given up. No more will they come to know you. Maybe we feel like that. Or maybe, maybe we don't even give this question a second thought. Maybe we don't even think, or maybe we forget that Jesus is actually one day coming back. It's an easy thing to do, particularly for us in the West, in Oxford, with the busyness of life, the busyness of work, of family, of, of, of social lives, of the many responsibilities that we have, all things that are good and right and things we have to do. But often can we not get distracted by those things? We can get caught up with the moment and lose sight of the bigger picture, that final and end goal of the return of Christ. We live and we make decisions and we have opinions, but how much of those things are shaped and molded by this big picture, that end goal of what is coming. So Jesus promised that he would come back. But until then, he told the apostles and he tells us today at Morden Road Church, between now and then, there is a task to do. So that was the question, what is the answer? The answer the apostles say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And then verse 7, Jesus says to them, it is not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, it's not for you to be concerned with, what, with when things will happen, but right now, your task is to be my witnesses. Here in Jerusalem, but ultimately out to the whole world. Those apostles were to be witnesses. Witnesses of what? Well, of that resurrection of Christ. They'd seen him die. They'd seen him risen from the dead. And they were to tell people. Luke ends his gospel um, by telling us that the apostles had witnessed these events, but also that they had begun to understand them. Listen to these words from Luke 24. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be filled, fulfilled as it was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them that this was written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness 
of sin will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. So there is their task to go out to invite people to believe in the risen Jesus. Now, of course, we are not first-hand witnesses, but we are witnesses of what he has done. We are witnesses of what he has done in our lives and in the lives of those around us. By the Holy Spirit and through faith in him, we have come to believe. And we bear witness to great and incredible truths, as Blax mentioned at the very beginning. That great event in history, the great display of divine power, the fulfillment of many, many prophecies. I've just come back from holiday in Inverness with my family. And uh, you can't go to Inverness without going to Loch Ness. And you can't go to Loch Ness without looking for the Loch Ness Monster. So out we went onto a boat with our two-and-a-half-year-old son, and we went looking for the monster. But of course, like many before us, we didn't see the monster. But we did hear about this famous photograph taken in 1934 that made people believe that there was a monster living in the loch. But we also heard that this photo was proved a few years ago to be a hoax. But the resurrection is not a hoax. It really happened. It's not made up. The tomb is empty. You can go and see it. Well, you can go and not find his body, at least. But we have good, solid, reliable evidence that Jesus rose from the dead and that the tomb is empty. And so we are witnesses by faith into this gospel. The apostles were witnesses first in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the capital city, the great city of David, the city where the king was to be sat. But they were not only to stay in Jerusalem, but they were to go out to Judea and Samaria, specifically. And what does that mean? Well, Judea and Samaria were representative places of the two divided parts of the kingdom of Israel. You will remember from your Old Testament knowledge that the kingdom divided north and south. But yet now... The gospel was to be taken to those places to bring God's people back together in Jesus, in this new kingdom, by the Spirit. And so the message did go out as you read through Acts. They went to Judea and to Samaria. And of course, as Jesus said, it went to the ends of the earth. The gospel was to go to all the world, to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. Isaiah says, I will also make you a light to the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And the Apostle Paul in Acts 13, he quotes this verse to show, look, we are fulfilling this prophecy by taking the gospel from the Jews out to the world. And by the end of Acts, it really did reach the end of the world for those people, to Rome, to the capital of the world. But of course, for us, 2,000 years later, we, we know there's a far bigger world out there. But yet, too, in many ways, the gospel has gone out to the ends of the earth. And it's still going. The kingdom of God has come. And it's filled the earth. And it goes on filling the world, just like the parables, just like 
Nebuchadnezzar's dream said that it would. And so the question, the answer, what does this mean? What did it mean for them? What's next? Look down at um, verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand look here, looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back the same way you have seen him gone into heaven. And so Jesus' reply to their question means that the kingdom has not yet finally and fully and completely been realized. His answer also shows them that their idea of the kingdom is far greater than they thought. It goes beyond Israel to the whole world. And so that great and amazing privilege, that great global task just a small number of people met on that day to go out to the whole world, to take the gospel, to bear witness to what they have seen and to welcome others into that kingdom. That was theirs. And so there they are, and the two men stand by them, and they say, what are you doing? Jesus will come back, but between now and then, your task is to go and spread the kingdom. And that task did go out. We can read it in volume one. And volume two, three, four, five, all the way down to volume 21 today, the gospel, the kingdom of God has gone and spread. People have borne witness to it, to us, so that we can hear and we can believe. And now we are in that privileged position of being the church together to bear witness to Jesus Christ. He has not yet returned. And so the challenge to us, like the apostles, is don't stand around looking up into the sky. CCC has gone. They've gone to bear witness in Cowley. The Irving building might be in our grasp. It might not. And there's no time to waste. What is the task? The task is the same as it always has been. Before CC, before Irving. The task, part of our vision on this poster. To love, reach, build, and send. To love the Lord Jesus for what he's done for us. To grow in him. To reach people. To bear witness of those around us of the great gospel. To build one another up to send one another out. Not just to send people abroad, but to send ourselves out into the world day by day to bear witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so focusing not on when Jesus will return, but to be witnesses to the fact that he will return. People need to hear. Now is the best time. Paul says, now is the day of salvation. And so let's be a church that fulfills that mission given to us, to bear witness to Christ. If the Irving building comes our way, let's be a church that uses that building 
to proclaim the gospel, to point people to Jesus. Let's be a church that doesn't give up. Although it's tough, although it's hard, although it seems that the fruit is minimal, let's keep going. The very reason that Jesus hasn't returned is because there's still work to be done, even here in Oxford. The reason that you are still here is that God has a part for you to play in the wider church this morning. People need to hear the gospel here in Oxford and people all over the world to the ends of the earth. The gospel has gone, but yet there are still places, there are still people who haven't heard of Jesus. So let's send, let's go. Let's bear witness to Jesus. 2,000 years have gone by and Jesus hasn't returned. People said in Peter's day, they used to mock Christians for believing that Jesus would come back or the world would one day end. People do that today. They mock us as Christians for believing in such a thing. But yet what encouragement do we get from Peter in his second letter, he says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 24, The gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations, and then the end will come. Jesus is coming back. And so, as MRC thinks about what is next, the what next is to simply continue the same task, to bear witness to the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the death and resurrection of Jesus. We thank you for those first apostles who bore witness to that and who took your command to go seriously and that they went and that people heard and responded and they themselves then went as well. And thank you that people have done that for 2,000 years and even today we ourselves have heard and we go to bear witness to the great kingdom of God. Thank you that how it has grown, how we can see back in Church history, the kingdom spying the whole world as people of all nations and peoples and tribes have come to believe in Jesus. We thank you that this mission will continue to go on and more and more people will be welcomed into the kingdom. We thank you too for that wonderful promise that the Lord Jesus will come back. We do pray and we long that he will return. Father, we also pray and long for many who don't yet know you, to come to know you too. Lord, help us as, as Modern Road Church today. Please help those who are visiting, as well as they head back to their churches, to be a, together as a church, as a body, united with this gospel, to boldly proclaim, and help us to know how to do that. And as we look at these two chapters in Acts, please help us to know more and more about how it is that we go and take this message of the kingdom. And we ask these things for your glory and for your kingdom. Amen.